working at a startup is it's just difficult in its own right right so when you compound being the first pm or second you know first pm and then everything that goes with those two scenarios to have a founder who's gone through it before is just going to solve or unblock a lot of challenges that you just don't you just don't even see going into into the situation Hi everyone, I'm Jason Evanish, host of the Practical Product Podcast. We're here to help you learn all the tools and tactics you need to be an amazing product manager. Today, I have an amazing guest with me. You may know from our earlier guest earlier in the season, talking about what it's like to be or hire the first PM at a company and why that often doesn't work out. And today, I have a very special guest, Hostos Monegro. He is actually a person, I was sitting in a coffee shop in New York City about three or four years ago. And he and I were just jamming on on what it was like to be a first PM and all the challenges. And so he deserves a lot of credit for the blog post that many of you have read about why you want to be the second first PM, because he and I had a, an amazing conversation about that and helped us both realize that we've had very, very similar experiences and it, just, it wasn't just the two of us. So Hostos, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I appreciate that great introduction and I'm honored to be to be a guest here and an opportunity to talk about this topic that we're both really passionate about. Awesome. So a little bit more about Hostos. He has been a product leader for many years. He has actually been the first PM at four different startups. So I think he's got lots of battle scars and experience to share today. He's mainly been in B2B and B2C marketplaces focused on small businesses and he's built and managed over seven different products. And so we're going to we're going to dive into today a lot of what he's learned in working at startups and larger enterprises which has kind of helped flavor his experience as a first PM. So first of all, also as I understand so you're you're now uh, since since we actually met a few years ago, you're actually on your fourth first PM experience. So so what's what's that been like kind of bringing some of that to the table a fourth time around? Are you when you when you started the discussion, we were already telling the CEO, hey, let me tell you the corners I already know how to see around. <laughs> yeah, so, some of that. And I'm laughing because I when I hear that out loud, it convince convinces myself of uh, how crazy I am to be doing this for a fourth time. But in all honesty, it's just it's just something I love and I think it's a swim lane that I've carved out for myself and I've gotten pretty, pretty skilled at, but, uh, yeah, it's my fourth marketplace startup. The name of the company is Kinside. I'm currently the head of product there joined as a seed stage company. And we recently closed our series a and looking to start hiring and growing the, the company in, in teams, happy to get into some of the, the nuances and specific about unique experiences. Absolutely. So let's actually maybe use some of that, you know, transition you made to to Kinside as a, as a learning tool. I'm curious when you're going from your third time being a first PM to a fourth time, what kinds of things were you looking out for? Like one of the things I've heard a lot from from people who have been first PM is a lot of them actually, despite having you know challenging experiences, really enjoyed it. So like. I think a lot of people would be interested in understanding, like, what does a veteran like you look for when you're searching for a potential first PM gig to find one that will work out? Since we know that the big curse and the reason that this this topic even exists is because so often there are 
pitfalls and reasons that it doesn't work out for people. So like, what were you looking for in a place like Kinside that will let you know that it was worth taking the leap? Yeah, it's a great question. And I don't know that it's any different in the prior times. I think if anything was different, it was my, my state of mind uh, going into the conversations, meaning I, you know, I bring a, a certain level of confidence, you know, from one job to the next that I didn't in the past, right. Or to use the word you used, I could see around corners and could, could onboard at a company already having, you know, an understanding of some of the things I'm, I'm probably going to have to tackle and, and, and improve and dedicate my attention to prior to anybody even saying it at that company, just because I, I have this feeling about what it looks like to join as a, the first PM. But to answer your question in a different way, also, I think this time around, I was certainly very selective in the type of company and in the problem space they're in, who their target user was and the type of problems I'd, I'd want to you know, work on. So to be specific, I've never actually built a product for, for myself, right? To solve a problem that I have. And I really wanted to make sure that this time around, I got that. So I'm a father of two children, two, two children that are in daycare. And I love marketplaces and I love, you know, super early stage teams. And I think those three bullet points, you know, I found them in, in Kinside, not to mention it's a, it's, it's led by a, a founding team who's done this before and they're great people. And, you know, they're also faced the same problem we're trying to solve as a, as an organization. So it was just a nice marriage of like what I was being selective on and what the actual founding team was uh, bringing to the table. Nice. And how did you think about kind of uh, filtering the founder? Because I think obviously one of the things I think we've all learned if you've been a first PM is that, you know, your relationship with the founders is a critical part of the picture. 100%, 100%. So at every startup that I've been at, the founder has, it, it's there at minimum a second time founder. And so, so that's always been part of my selection process. I almost look at my vetting of a startup the way a VC may vet a company, right? Obviously, I don't go into the due diligence that they do and, you know, their revenue and, and, and information to their business that a VC may have. But as, a, as someone who's interviewing, I, do I believe in the problem space? Is it a problem space that the world wants solved? Is the founding team the team that could solve it, right? And then do I do I think I can actually make an impact and make a difference if I were to join the, the, this team? Those are like the three, I guess, credit points that I use to to filter out a founder. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a really great point, and I think really underrated is how many times the person's been a founder. I can share some of my battle wounds and say that one of the key differences between my two experiences as a first PM is the first time I was a PM, which was actually, I was replacing someone who was let go, was my amazing experience that I had at uh, Kissmetrics. And a big part of that was Heaton had run a number of businesses before. And of course, also he had some of those battle scars of the first person they hired who she's a great PM, but she wasn't the right fit. And so uh, I didn't appreciate it at the time. This is one of the things I think came up when Hostos originally, he and I had coffee, is that idea that that experience is actually super valuable and you benefit in ways that you can't really quantify because you don't even, you don't know necessarily all the experience that founder has had that is now going to make your relationship with them easier. 
the second time I was a PM, I was the first PM they'd ever hired. This was a first time founder. They had never <laughs> really run a startup before. And I paid the price. Like there was just, there were so many things that I thought were obvious that would just happen that didn't. And it just, it, it, it created extra, extra tension, extra conflict, extra challenges that like, I just didn't realize I was signing up for. And so I, I think hostess's advice is actually a really good one where if they don't have that experience, it's going to like, it's not impossible. Obviously there are people who still take the roles, but you're going to have extra challenges that you will not face if they've been there, done that a little bit. And it will certainly make your relationship with them easier if they've already maybe gotten a few of their own scrapes and bruises and, and you haven't had to fight all those fights for the first time on behalf of all PMs. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, working at a startup is it's just difficult in its own right, right? So when you compound being the first PM or second you know, first PM and then everything that goes with those two scenarios to have a founder who's gone through it before is just going to solve or unblock a lot of challenges that you just don't, you just don't even see going into, into the situation. Yeah, absolutely. So I know a lot of our discussion, a lot of the discussion uh, previously I had with the founder of Chameleon talking about his experience with having your first PM not work out and what they've learned the second time around. A lot of it, unfortunately, is dwelling on the negative, but let's take a second and flip the script here and let's talk about the positive. You know, what are the, what are the awesome parts of this role? Why, why is it appealing? Why have you built an entire career around being a first PM? What do you love about the job? And what is, what is the magnetic draw that makes it worth kind of some of these extra hurdles and risks? Absolutely. You know, after I decided to move on from each of the startups, or I decided to move on from each of the startups, I always said to myself, I would not do that again, right? Like I would not <laughs> do another startup as yeah. a first PM, but I've done it four times. So clearly there's something that I love about the situation. And it's something I often have thought about as I'm looking for that next opportunity to make sure that I am going to put myself in the same scenario for the right reasons. But I would say there's five reasons why, why I love, I love this. The first one is just, just early product, right? Like I love the idea of having the opportunity to build a product from its early stages, right? Maybe you join pre-MVP or shortly thereafter, but the idea of it being a, a, such an early version of the product is just exciting to me versus what I did once prior to me starting in the world of startups, which is, you know, I was, I was taking on a product that had been around for quite a while. And really my task was to keep the lights on and deliver incremental value, right? But never think anything bigger. And then as I speak to some of my, my, my friends and, and folks in my professional network that are in large organizations, their, their, their time building product seems to be different than mine or the type of products and, and problems they, they work on seem to be different in that it's more defined and more of like a corner of a product versus all of it, right? So I would say that's first. The second thing I love is just the opportunity to build out a department, right? Like how often as a product manager, can you say you've done other things and just built out a feature, right? So like the, 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 the opportunity to build out a, a department is exciting to me. One, you get to define how the, how the team operates, how it engages with the rest of the organization, the culture you want on that team. And I very much look at that as a product in itself. So like my team, I treat it as a product, right? Like how do I become a better partner to the business, right? And 
the things that I would do to be- become a better partner. I like the features of the team, right? A third reason is, is the team, right? I have an opportunity to pick my team. Like literally I'm, I'm going to be hiring and scaling that team and to, to work alongside people that I've picked and are additive and creating like a well-rounded apartment is exciting to me. I'd say the fourth reason is an opportunity to, to just heavily define or heavily influence the product strategy. I don't, I don't think you, you would get that at much later stage companies and, and, or products, right? A lot of that has been done for you. And as startups, in my experience, that's not even done at all, right? So, so like, that's just a muscle I, I love to flex. And then the last, I guess, reason why I, I love this is it's just the, the opportunity to, to educate the team internally, right? Like what is product management and what does good product management look like? I found that you'll, you'll usually find folks that have had product management at their prior companies, but, but then they turn around and be like, man, I had no idea that, that that's what you, that this is what you should be doing. Right. And then they tell me stories or horror stories around uh, their inability to, to like efficiently partner with product or, 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 or properly produce great product outcomes. And I just love hearing that. And the, the startups that I've joined have afforded me, you know, these, these five reasons why I love, I, I love being a first time product person. Yeah. I mean, that's a great list. I mean, I think it really comes down to if you're kind of an entrepreneurial product leader and you like building things, you love the zero to one being a first PM is amazing. I think a lot of my friends who like me have, have actually started our own companies. I think we in particular thrive in those roles. I know hostess, you said you haven't really started a company yourself, but like, I feel like with what you're describing there, if you ever get the itch, you totally could. And I think that like that entrepreneurial DNA of enjoying creation is a, is a huge part of that where no, you're not the founder. And you know, of course you need to not have an ego, like, like pretending you are, but the amount of green space you have to work with, it really is like you're being just given a giant chunk of marble and you get to carve it out yourself versus like, you know, a lot of larger companies, like what a product manager does is just so different and, and much more repetitive. And like your, your, your scope of impact is so much less, but like when you come in and you're at this early stage, like even, even at the first PM role where, where things didn't work out, like I still had a lot of fun. Like, the amount of things I got to reach out and impact and the things that frankly, for my friends who were still at the company, like I know some of the things I did had a lasting impact. Like, like there was functionality that was still there years later. Some of the people I hired were still there and successful. And some of the processes and habits that I installed were, were still working because like you're able to come in and define those. And, and if you know a good way to do it, it's probably going to stick. And so, yeah, if you love green space and you love the opportunity to really define and shape things and you like being a teacher and and, and like a builder of builder of some of these processes it's really you can't beat it (laughs) absolutely you nailed it you nailed it cool so so going back to kind of the challenge side of things because unfortunately i think that's a lot of what we want to help people with today is you know the, the downsides that come with it what are maybe some of the what are maybe some of the hardest lessons that you've learned as a first pm yeah, I've certainly learned a, a, a number of lessons. Some lessons I've, I don't even like to think about because <laughs> they were that painful. But I would say, you know, the, the lesson that's been top of mind for me lately, and I think it's something that I'll always think about even beyond inside my, my current startup, is you have to, and I, you know, capital you, you have to hire and scale the team, 
like this, this has to be a priority for you. And what am I, what I mean by it is, you know, you're the person that needs to be thinking about when to hire and the rationale for it and not wait around for one of the founders or your boss to tell you they think it's time. And then you start hiring. Yeah. And I'm doing that now, right? So as soon as I joined this startup, which I've been at for about three months, it was like week one. I'm already having the conversations as to the, the triggers or the timing as to wh- when I think we're going to, we're going to need to hire more, more PMs and started laying out a plan for doing so. Interesting. And so, so with that, how much does that include like thinking about kind of the, your, your, your technical partner? Like I imagine that, you know, your average product team has to be kind of a step, uh, either if you want them to plan a bunch of stuff out without resources yet, then you're going to be maybe a little ahead of the engineering team. But otherwise, very often I've seen where it's kind of like they hire up a bunch of engineers and then you wake up one day and you realize you have too many engineers that you have to keep busy just yourself and too many to coordinate. And you're like, Oh, I need to split this off. So how do you think about kind of the, the larger picture? Cause product managers don't work in a bubble. You have engineers and designers you partner with. So how do you think about actually like, you know, do you have a magic number in mind or do you have a certain structure maturity that you look for in the org to know like, Hey, I want to bring on the first PM that's going to report to me, you know, the second PM in the organization, how do you think about that relative to like the size and, and the maturity of the like engineering team or, or like the design function of the company? Yeah, it's a, it's a great comment. And certainly I don't think about hiring the team in a vacuum. I simple answer to your question is you have to partner with the CTO, right? Whoever that lead engineering person is that is building out the engineering team. You have to make sure that your plan is in lockstep with the growth of their team. So, you know, the ratio of engineers to product managers is, is accurate, right? The timing in which we will hire is on the same type of sequencing is the easy way of doing that. My time now I can decide why I'm already thinking about hiring as early as I am now is this time around at, at the startup, I'm, I'm very much playing more of a, of a strategic role in being a partner to the CEO and and some of the other founders and thinking through some of our growth channels and opportunities and you know that in itself is a full-time job right and part of you know with the experience i bring is being able to communicate that to the to the founding team and show them as to why and then be able to articulate that i'll be more effective as a product leader and helping you know the the team from a strategic standpoint if i'm able to bring out bring in a team earlier than i may have in the past but also we're at a point at this company and same thing at other startups that I've been at where naturally when they bring in a product manager, they're also hiring a lot from an engineering standpoint. So you just have to expect that also as a, as a first time PM, right? That they're hiring you and in parallel, they're building out that engineering team, right? So you really need to have a sense of like the velocity of uh, the, the company's ability to hire and your ability to stay ahead of that. Are you a self-taught product manager? Do you feel like there's gaps in your skills holding you back? Are you comfortable teaching others how you do product management? The fact is no one learns product management in school. You have to learn by cobbling together resources, reading books and blog posts, seeking out mentors, and learning on the job through trial and error. I've been there. I was a self-taught PM too, and I was lucky to learn from some of the best product minds in Silicon Valley. Now I want to teach you everything I've learned. To 
do that, I've written blog posts, shared knowledge on these podcasts with great guests, and now I'm doing a limited number of coaching and consulting engagements. If you're looking to level up as a product leader and want to tune up you and your product team skills, then go to becustomerdriven.com and sign up for a free call to discuss your needs and how I may be able to help you. Again, go to becustomerdriven.com. Do you have a rule of thumb in mind that like an early stage product team, what the ratio of like PMs to engineers should be or anything like that? I mean, you know, you've heard of num like ratios such as maybe five engineers, anywhere in the range of five to 10 engineers per product manager. But from my experience, sometimes that's been true, but often you just need to be cognizant of, you know, the product you're building and the problem space and then the, the team's ability, right? And then also just the maturity of the team to, to really be able to answer that. So, you know, I guess you can go with like five to 10 as a nice ratio per engine, per product manager, but you just really need to be attuned with the team's situations. Jason, if I could take a, a step back here, uh, I wanted to tell you, so this lesson around like why you need to be hiring, like it wasn't something that like that just came to me uh, or that I just decided on one day. I would say, let's just call it early on when I joined LeafLink, which is a startup that I was at prior to this. So maybe at the end of that, at the end of that year, I went to this amazing fireside chat by this amazing product leader. You know, I was just, I was just amazed at how fluent and comfortable they were with all topics in product management. I just, I just, I'd never seen that or heard that. And I was so convinced that this person was going to be the, the person that would make me a better product manager. At the end of the session, I, you know, I approached them and in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to be able to convince them to, to become my coach and I will pay them whatever they want. And, you know, and I, and I asked them that if they coached me and, you know, the person said that they just don't have the bandwidth and that's not, that's not something they do. But uh, in passing, the one question they asked me was, have you been building out your product manager, product team? Have you been hiring? And, and they meant nothing to me when, when this person asked me that, like, literally, I'm just like, man, that was, that was like a cop out. Like that wasn't really helpful. And then <laughs> week, yeah. weeks, weeks later, as I thought more and more about that, I'm just like, that's what it means to become a, a product leader, right? Like that, that's what it means to, for, for you to be able to do things at scale and to multiply, you know, the outcomes of your team. So it's just been something that I think about all the time and something I'll always deploy when I, when I you know, join startups. Yeah. So, so when you are thinking about like building your organization, are you looking to bring in like a generalist PM and you'll figure it out? Or do you have like, you're often thinking like, Hey, I want to chunk off these pe three people with skills. And like, we're going to form like a security pod because that's important to this business. Or we're going to form a pod that just focused on, you know, this, this part of the market. Like, do you intentionally think a lot about like creating, like starting to create like a pod structure with very specific responsibilities when you go to hire that PM? So you're looking for someone who maybe has done some of those things before, or are you like, I just want to bring in people who are pretty good, but moldable to the way I do my process. And like, we'll figure out responsibilities once they get there. It's the latter. And, and it's just what's worked for me for four times now. So all four products have been marketplaces the way I think about it is that first hire that I've made is is someone who's just a generalist or a full stack product manager that just brings a, an array of skills to the table and she's going to unlock a lot for the team and obviously create some space for me. But I have it in mind that, yes, we will create pods that are very specialized around, you know, the, the specifics of, of the marketplace. And, you know, that first PM, 
I'll find them a home. But, you know, the second PM is where, when I hire that second PM is where I'll have to start thinking about like swim lanes. But because it's a marketplace, the two simplest swim lanes that I always start with is just is the supply, supply side and the demand side. And at that point, I'll put each of the PMs in one of those two areas. And then naturally, you'll start seeing some of the specific components of each of the sides of the marketplace. And that's where we'll start getting specific, um, you know, skill sets. For example, if I'm hiring, you know, if, I'm, I've, if a big part of my marketplace is payments, you know, at some point we'll hire a payments PM who has a, who has a significant expertise in, in fintech. But that's the, that's a general approach that I've seen work and be successful. Okay, cool. So it sounds like when you're, if you're a first PM and you're making your first hire, so the second PM to join join your organization, counting you, you found that it works best to hire somebody who's more of a generalist that you think you can work well with and is adaptable. And I guess it sounds like you can maybe put them on a lot of different kind of projects and then later find their strength, move them to that, and then hire in somebody to like do, you know, other as other swim lanes, as you describe it. Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah, 100%. I would bring in the more specialized PMs later as, as we defined, uh, you know, define more pods, but, but obviously I'm sure it's been done different ways. This has just been the playbook that's worked for me now. Okay, cool. So thinking about people who are listening, like, I think the whole first PM and second first PM thing, it's interesting to see, like, I think actually one of the hardest things about writing the blog post was figuring out how to word it. Cause it's a mouthful and, and it takes a second to explain, but it seems to have stuck with a lot of, a lot of PMs. And so a lot of times when I've seen this discussion and I get like the Google alerts or a Slack notification, cause another product org man is talking about it. There's a lot of people that are curious about the role, even though it is kind of dangerous. You know, I think as humans, sometimes we all want to get, we don't want to touch the burner and get burned, but sometimes we're going to get really close to it. And so, you know, what advice would you have for someone thinking about trying a first PM role at a company? You know, what traits do they need to succeed? Maybe even before they start interviewing at companies. Sure. So the, the advice, you know, I wish I, I had. <laughs> I guess you know maybe maybe four pieces of advice. Uh, first is is you need to think about certain questions such as you know what 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 role are you envisioning for yourself as a product manager at this company being the first PM there? Right? Is it is it purely an execution based role or is it a heavy strategy role? Right? And I'm not saying that. I don't even know if there is a role for first PM where like it's purely just execution based and you don't need to think about strategy and you don't need to be collaborating and partnering at the most top level. No, that doesn't exist. (laughs) I think, I think we can say pretty confidently, like you you need to have a doer side of you as a first PM, but you also need to step back. If you can't step back and see the big picture, you can't scale the organization. 100%. Yeah. So, so like I I've certainly seen occasions where that happens, but to be quite honest, that's one of, I think the reasons that first PMs don't work out because even if they don't mean it, I think pretty much every founder hires a uh, first PM with the vision that they're going to eventually build the organization. And if they're not the person to build the organization, they're going to probably get pushed out the door because they're going to say, Hey, we need to bring in someone who can really do it. And since so often the first PM is actually called the head of product or given some generalized like product title, it's really hard to top it, uh, like, you know, top it in the sense of like someone's hired above you. And so, yeah, if you come in and you just execute, you'll, you'll actually be painting yourself into a corner where you may relieve challenges early on because it was just, Hey, the founder couldn't do product management anymore themselves. 
you won't grow with the role. And that is one of the reasons that you will not last there. Absolutely. In fact, earlier this week, I, I spoke with someone who reached out about you know the experience of being a first PM. They are they, they are currently a first PM at a startup, you know, and they're quite junior in their product management career. And early in the conversation, all they talked about is their cha- the challenges they're having at the execution level. All right. So 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 in the conversation, it was clear to me that they thought the role was managing sprints, right, gathering requirements, working with a designer collaborating with certain certain teams and not at one point in the conversation until I, you know, I, I pressed them. Did they talk about company strategy, product strategy, North stars, right? The things that set the direction and the success of, of, of everyone involved at the company. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think one of the traps you can get in, get into, especially as a first PM is that there's so much to do and there could be so much pressure that it's very easy and safe to just fall back into sprint planning. Cause you're like, Oh, you know, I'm keeping, I'm keeping all the engineers busy. So I'm doing the most important thing. But if you're not zooming out, you know, you're making a mistake. Like I actually made this mistake. I had the time that being a first PM didn't work out. I had nine engineers by the end that I was trying to keep busy and no tech leads to partner with. And the CTO didn't really want to be a manager. And so it was, it was actually a very awkward situation because I basically was having nine one-to-one relationships, trying to keep each of them busy, almost on a different project for the most part. And because no one wanted to be a tech lead on the entire company, they, it was a very engineers, engineers kind of, kind of business. No one wanted to do the tech lead role. They all wanted to be just hardcore engineers, which was fine. Like they're really smart people. And I actually really liked a lot of them, but I was drawn so much into the day-to-day product and project management that I wasn't spending enough time getting deeper into the strategy of the business and how we were going to scale and grow the organization. And also just understanding the CEO's vision. Cause it certainly, it was not a case of solving a problem I personally understood. And so it is extremely tempting. And if you're not good at the strategy side yet, it can be extremely tempting to fall back on that. So you have to be very conscious of that and be willing to zoom out and say, no matter how much is on my plate on the execution side, I need to spend time on the strategy side. And I need to be thinking, thinking about it proactively because it will, it, it is always hovering off in the distance and you need to plan for that because it's not going to get easier as the company grows. One one hundred percent. I mean that that's a, a huge piece of advice. I'd say that's that's probably one of the more critical pieces of advice I'd give a, a a PM like you. Early in my career at, at startups, I I tended to lean heavily on the execution side just because I found comfort on it in it. Mm-hmm. And it, was, it feels it was so easy. good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look how great I write these user stories. My to do list. I killed it. I killed I, my to do list this week. Look at it, guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly. Exactly. And and now um, at, at Kinside, it's the complete opposite. Like if you look at my calendar, I I have these large chunks where I'm just thinking about product strategy. And when I say thinking, like I'm literally writing. I am putting the the conversation that I've had this week around strategy with some of the founders on paper, right? And I'm iterating on the strategy every day. And it's it's happening at the expense of execution, right? Like you would laugh at you if you saw the quality of the user stories that I'm writing nowadays, but it's a conscious decision, right? And, it, and it's also uh, just a moment in the stage of, of the company, right? Like we will get better at the quality in like writing acceptance criteria and defining goals per sprint and and everything that comes along with, with with execution we'll get better at that i'm confident in that because that's that's quite frankly the easy stuff 
But right now, we unblock and deliver so much value by spending time on, on product strategies. So certainly a huge piece of advice there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I would add, what you underrate on the strategy side is kind of the big picture decisions. I always like uh, this concept is called the waterline principle. And it's basically like, imagine a boat floating in the water. And it's like, if we blew a hole in the side of the boat, if it's above the waterline, we're all good. Like we can patch it up. But if you blow a hole in the boat below the waterline, you have a big problem. And so you can think of that as like reversible versus irreversible decisions. And so when you're moving fast and experimenting and you might kill a feature anyways afterwards, like that's probably a reversible decision. But if you think strategically about like something you're building now and like the architecture and like the long-term impact of it may be very high, then that's actually something you want to take more time to think about and make the right choice with because a decision you make as a first PM early on could be something that five years from now, people are cursing and being like, oh, how do we untangle and fix this? So that, that's, that's a good point on taking time to think. Actually, a lot of the people that I coach now that are product managers, a lot of them are self-taught PMs who like stumbled into becoming a first PM or, or a product executive now. And they don't appreciate that. So that's fantastic advice, actually. Like, frankly, anyone listening to this, even if you haven't been a first PM, unless you're testing button colors at a gigantic company right now, setting aside an hour or two on your calendar to sit back, reflect, look at the big picture. How does my work fit into the rest of the company? What is our company's strategy and how is product executing it? Like those big strategy questions, like actually forcing there to be some time on your calendar to think about it is a very important part of, of really any product person's role, but especially if you're in the early stage. 100%. I mean, you, you have to force it upon yourself because unfortunately, no one is sitting around at the company asking you for the product strategy ahead of time right? That people are asking you, like, what am I working on today? Right? So that's why you naturally are going to fall to the execution side. So you really have to force yourself to think about the future. Two other pieces of, of advice is um, you should talk to product managers who've been in the situation, right? Like either listen to a podcast such as this one, or if you know some, take them out for a drink and have them really describe to you what it, what it, what it feels like to, to be a PM. In those conversations, I think what you really want to learn about is what does a week, a month, and a quarter feel like for that first PM? I think those three you know, buckets there, if you were to compare them with a, a PM at a later stage company, you would find they're very different. And you know, as an example, planning, for example, is very different at a, at a startup. And you need to have a good understanding of what that looks like and feels like, and then what you need to be driving. And, and doing in those different windows that I, that I mentioned there. Yeah. Oh, so w what you're saying, Hostos, is you don't run a perfect scrum master ceremony every week and like, <laughs> ha and like have like the, the like perfect structure and everything in the earliest stages. Definitely. Definitely not. I, I laugh at some of the, you know, amazing medium articles that are out there about how to do this stuff. The, the articles are amazing, but in reality, it, it, it doesn't quite work out like that as at a, at a startup, especially early stage startup. So you have to be flexible in doing the critical things or whatever activity you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the important, important things people realize, but that is also a challenge is as you grow your organization as the first PM and you're leading it, you, you do need to start heading towards a little bit better process, but also realize that you're often going to come in and processes are either completely broken or non-existent. And you have to be comfortable figuring out what's the 80-20 here because 
if you don't understand what the 80 20 is and just like what's enough to keep us moving forward you end up in exactly the first pitfall that that host us brought up which is this idea of spending too much time in execution cool so what's this fourth one what's the fourth pitfall we need to watch out for or no, sorry not so, a pitfall but fourth um, piece of advice yeah the fourth trade or piece of advice you have for people thinking is this for me yeah i would say you certainly have to have a you know, one step at a time mentality. I shouldn't say you need to have, but it's just something what's worked that's worked for me in that it's going to be super easy to get overwhelmed. And that to-do list is going to grow even when you're sleeping and you'll just never get ahead of it. But you just need to be able to have this approach of, of like, great, there's a lot of work here. And sometimes I don't even know what success looks like six months from now. But I have some control of like what today could look like, right? Or like what this next hour should look like. What's that? What's this thing I could work on this next hour to deliver some some impact? And that's just you know a nice mind of framing that I I use just to like get out of my own way. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. You could easily uh, pretty much always feel overwhelmed. I think everyone at a startup that has you know 10, 20, 30 employees always feels like there's more uh, to do than time, and so not letting that overwhelm you uh, but still making progress as best you can is important but then like you talked about with the pause and and you know taking time to look at the big picture that also should include am i working on the right things am i giving enough time and attention to the right things what things could could wait and what things can't wait absolutely have you mastered the most important skills of product management Do you know how to interview customers to learn the right things or how to write a product spec your engineers and designers actually want to read? Product management comes in dozens of flavors, yet there are a lot more ways to do things wrong than get the results you hoped. And doing things the wrong way can lead to frustrated teammates, failed experiments, resentful and disappointed stakeholders, and a feeling that you're not becoming the product manager you dreamed of. Being a great product manager requires mastering the fundamentals. By learning the most important skills, and putting them into practice for every project you own, you set yourself up to ship the right products and get more wins. I've taken the best skills and knowledge I've learned over the last 12 years as a product manager who was lucky enough to learn from some of the best in Silicon Valley, and I've created a 10-week course to help you learn them too. These lessons focus on the most important skills that set you up for success. The program includes templates, guides, and a community so we can all grow together. If you'd like to join us in leveling up your product management skills, go to becustomerdriven.com slash course and reserve your spot for the next cohort of the program. Again, that's becustomerdriven.com slash course. So thinking about this, you know, I think we've probably scared off a couple of people, but for those that are brave and thinking about this or, or maybe thinking about trying again after after they had a, a first, first time being a PM didn't work, but they, they kind of liked it enough they want to try again. What kinds of things do you think a first PM should ask a company to be sure it's the right fit and a good opportunity for them and that they're not walking into walking into something that just will never work out for them? Sure. So the questions that I usually think about is asking who has been playing the PM role so far, right? I think you'll learn a lot if it's been the CTO uh, or just one person or has it been a team sport and a combination of folks that'll give you some insight into what your life is going to feel like when you're when you're there i'd also ask what responsibilities will the person continue who's been playing the product management role because that'll also answer some of the things you don't you shouldn't expect to have to do 
And then the last question I think about is just what are the top three responsibilities they're expecting you to take off their their plate? And, and why you're asking that is because you're getting very explicit and you want some specific examples around it, you know what what would it mean for you to to be successful there, right? And where you're going to be spending your time. Cool. That makes a lot of sense. So, so when you think about like uh, who's been playing it so far, like. Is there a specific combination that you think is like a red flag or is there a certain like setup that that is like a positive for you that, that, that you look for? Is there a specific way? Like, how do you know their answer? Like, I could think of a million, uh, like a bunch of different ways that they might be set up. But uh, how would you determine that whoever's been playing PM is like, oh, I should avoid that? If the person who's been playing a PM isn't someone who's built software in some capacity before I would take that as a red flag. So there's been two situations where I reported into the CTO, but these CTOs were very much product minded, business minded technologists and, or they've worked with product people. So that, that, that was, that was a good sign. But if you're reporting into, I won't give it a title, but just someone who's never actually like, maybe they've never actually engineered a product. They've never actually thought about, the the business side of what it means to build up a, a product, I would take that as a as a red flag. Okay, no, that makes a lot of sense. And are there specific responsibilities you look for that are like if they don't mention these, it's a bad sign, or if they do mention them, it's a good sign? I mean, for me, I I, I very much like having a role in the strategy of of the product and and leading that and and doing all the things that I I said that I loved at the top of this conversation. So if the responsibilities they mention are limiting, are going to limit my time outside of those things I love, then that's not that's not something for me. And then obviously, if if they're really defining it as someone who's just gathering requirements and you know, engaging with everyone at the company to, to formulate those, those requirements and then usher them, usher them through the uh, engineering sprints. That's not very attractive to me, but you know, you'll, you'll get that based on some of the questions that I, I said we should be asking up front. One I would also add is I would say, make sure you spend some time getting to know the person that you're going to be reporting into. 100%. I, you know, I think usually you end up reporting to one of the founders and like your relationship with them has to be smooth as butter. You have to have ways that you feel like you two can connect and you have to feel like you respect them and they respect you for what you're both good at because there are going to be times where either you need to get stuff from them even when they're busy or there's other times where you need to persuade them and making sure you understand kind of what it's like to work with them and you know what they're like. I know, I think it goes back and forth a lot in like, interviews you know whether you should use the the get a beer test on on people is whether they're fit and i think in this case you kind of have to tack more towards that where you have to say like hey can like am i comfortable spending tens of thousands of hours with this person and do i feel like we can get along and that we can have a debate and like disagree and commit you know either way and things like that like feeling like you have that i think is one of those things that that you should be looking for and it may not be one specific question but it's something to look out for because that relationship is so critical to your, to your success and you being set up well in the role. 100%. I mean, the four startups that I've been at, I've always reported into one of the founders at times has been a CEO and other times it's been the CTO, but every time that I've made my decision to join the company, one of the top reasons is like, do I want to work with that person? Like literally that, that person 
Am I going to enjoy building product with them? Am I going to grow as a person with them? Is this someone that I do want to have a beer with and coffee often, you know, while I'm here and, and beyond, right? Because this is going to be someone you're going to spend a lot of time with. Yeah. I mean, I, I know to me, actually, like I literally have a favorite beverage because of working with Heaton. So when I went to, first of all, like I moved across the country to go work at Kissmetrics. I was so excited to work with Heaton. And then when we were working together, we used to put a pot of pu'er, uh, which is a Indian fermented tea. We'd put that on when we would have product chats. And he and I would literally sit in the kitchen at Kissmetrics and just jam on product for like three hours. And to this day, it's still one of my favorite like memories of working on a job because like I learned so much from him. They were just fun conversations and we would walk away both more energized, I felt like, because he was bringing all this like external perspective, all the things he was seeing in the market. And I was bringing him all the things I was hearing from customers. And there was just this synergy of like us figuring out what to build next and like inventing new technology for the analytics market and stuff that just like was amazing and was like a key part of like one of my favorite parts of the role. And like, you just wouldn't get that at any other size or level than being the first PM at the company. So like that part of the relationship was huge. And like you said, it really was like hours and hours and hours of spending time together and genuinely enjoying it and feeling better at the end, not like tired and like, oh man, I need a break. It was like, no, I've never been more pumped up. Absolutely. I mean, you could probably do a whole other episode <laughs> just on that one topic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, that sounds like that's one of the important green flags. What other green flags would you say a person looking at first PM role should look for during the interview process? Sure. The first one, I think we kind of alluded to it, but it's ideally the team, the founders have worked with a product manager before or have been, have seen it done. J just something that will prevent the situation where you are literally exposing them to product for the first time, right? <laughs> yeah. You don't want to teach your boss how to do product. That, that, that is it. That was one of the biggest reasons these things don't work out. Yeah. You know, another green flag is are they hiring because they've reached the natural point in which to hire a PM or is it something, something more, uh, I guess, negative, let's say, but let's say there's a fundamental problem with the company. And they feel like they need to hire a product person to, to solve this thing. And the problem is beyond this, pro this product person, right? So I would just look for that, that, that natural point of hiring a product manager. No, that makes a lot of sense. And so I guess one of the other challenges is I think a lot of people kind of get into these first PM gigs for a lot of reasons. Some of them can be you kind of fell into it, or maybe it's actually your first product manager role. I've actually been surprised how often that happens where like the company just is like, oh, we just need this problem solved. We'll hire anybody. And then, or they are already at the company for some reason and they end up becoming the PM by default almost. And then they get the title. And so I think for a variety of reasons, somebody could be a first PM, but now they're in one of these situations where there are some challenges, you know, either with the founders or the processes or the responsibilities they have. What, what would you recommend somebody do if like they hear some of these pitfalls and stuff and they're like sinking feeling, you know, uh-oh, that might be me. Yeah, I mean, I think you need to talk to other product managers or your friends or in your network and, and almost treat it like, you know, a, a problem you're trying to, a feature you're trying to build, right? But you start with defining the problem and having that conversation with your, your network to try to unpack that. Second to that, I try to have that same conversation with, with your boss, if you, if, if you can, whoever your manager is. And if you have that great relationship that you and I just talked about, you'll easily be able to arrive at, what, what a root cause may be in some next steps. I suspect the problem is not 
an execution problem though. And it's a term that I've, I'm starting to hear where it's like, usually when you think it's an execution problem, it's, it's a strategy problem, right? So I suspect a lot of the challenges a first PM is having is because there isn't a well-defined company strategy and or product strategy that has been thought about, communicated and aligned on and everyone at the company understands with, without that, it's very difficult to be successful at any other parts of, of being a product manager. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now we've spent almost this entire episode focused on the product manager perspective, but as we kind of wrap up here, you know, what advice would you give for a founder thinking about hiring their first, first PM? Because I think I've never met a founder that says, you know what I want to do? I want to hire someone critical for my company and end up firing them or, or us parting ways in like six to eight months. And yet that too often happens in these, in, in these first PM scenarios, if it's not something they've done before, or they, you know, didn't learn their lesson the first time, so to speak. So like, what are some things maybe you would give advice to founders on the other side of the table that maybe are, are thinking about this and, and want the first, first PM to work out? Sure. I, I get four pieces of advice. The first would be, you need to look for someone who's a self-starter and a self-learner, right? Someone's not waiting around to be told what to do next. And if they don't know what to do next or how to do that next thing, they have the ability to go learn it and figure it out and be very resourceful. The second one, I'd say you want to hire someone who's very comfortable with ambiguity because that that's what life is like at, at, a, at a startup. And your job is to is to put some, is, is get the team through that ambiguity, right? And you got to be comfortable with that yourself. I'd say the, the third piece is uh, someone who can fill in the gaps, right? Like even though the product management role may be well-defined in your, in your mind, there are a lot of things that the team and the company just needs someone to, to do. And a product manager, I think is a, a, a natural role to just fill those gaps. And then the last, which... It's something I, I look for all the time when I'm hiring, but someone just brings high level of energy and optimism to, to the room they're in or the conversation they're in that helps with the difficult conversations we're having or not having clarity on how we're going to accomplish a certain outcome, right? I think just optimism and energy just makes all that easier to, to work through. Yeah, I think that's a really underrated part because there, if you're at a startup, there's going to be challenges, there's going to be setbacks. And one of the things a product manager needs to be good at, it, especially early on, is being a cheerleader. You know, how can they celebrate wins? How can they highlight people who have secretly done a really good job? Those sorts of things go a really long way to keep morale up, even when there's been a setback, as well as just setting the vision going forward of like, hey, you know what? That last experiment didn't work, but you know what? I'm super pumped for this next one. Here's why I think it's going to be great. Let's get excited and let's go, you know, keep that going. That morale trickles down to everybody they work with. And, you know, frankly, a PM works with just about everybody in the company in some, some way or fashion. And so that person needs to be a net positive to the energy level in the company. 100%. And you could feel that. Uh, and, you know, there's different ways you sprinkle that into, into the team, right? Whether it be in sprint plannings, you're giving people shout outs or in demos, you know, you're, you're giving credit where, where it's due. And on Slack, you know, you're constantly calling your engineers out and, and bringing attention to the great work that they're doing. But you could, you could literally feel that newfound energy that the team has if you bring in the right product manager. Yeah, totally. And so you mentioned this a little bit earlier. So let's kind of like zero in on it real quick here. When is the right time to hire, hire that first PM? Like, 
you seem to allude to the fact that sometimes people choose the wrong time to do it. So, so what does that timing actually actually look like? You think for where it's like, yes, you're making the right call. You're, you're doing it for the right reasons. Now is the right time to bring someone on. Yeah, I would say it's when the person who's playing the role, we'll say the, the CTO in, in, in this case, when they are the blocker now, right? When they're the person who's blocking certain decisions being made, blocking other engineers, blocking other larger projects that are happening. And then they're also just realizing that they just don't have the time to put in proper thought behind the problems and opportunities that the, the, team, the team is tackling. That, that's a really good one. It's actually a fun story. When I was interviewing for the, the job at Kissmetrics, I had flown out to San Francisco to meet with them. And I sat down at the table with one of their engineers, the head of engineering, and Heaton for, for, for my interview for a few hours. And one of the things they asked me was like, hey, Jason, what's the difference between like good product management, bad product management, and like what are kind of some of the things that can go wrong? And I proceeded to list out all the things they were struggling with because basically their fir the first first PM had been let go and they had their head of engineering kind of filling in for like three or four months. And so that was just enough time for a whole bunch of their processes to break. So I found that many months later that when I started listing out a whole bunch of the common problems that, that, that happen in early stage product and like what the downstream effects of that is, I was basically explaining exactly what was happening to them at the time. And so help me crush the interview on a level. I don't think I'll never, I'll never hit a home run that perfectly again in an interview, but it was really interesting to, to see how that's exactly what was happening. There was, they had filled in the gap for a little bit to kind of uh, like pause and reflect on the, the first PM situation and then had gone to a point where the head of engineering was running it and he could not do it anymore. It was absolutely not his fault. It was just, he had too much on his plate and wasn't naturally a PM to begin with. But those problems are exactly why they were ready to hire. And that's why that was my first PM experience that worked out really well. Yeah, you know, 100%. I think that that is a good description of like the natural point you should bring in that first PM. Cool. So last question. Host, this has been awesome. It feels a lot like our first coffee coffee meeting only. Probably our, our coffee meeting may be a little less uncensored. But you know, thinking about last question. How can a founder or even maybe just a proactive first PM, how can they set, how can the first PM be set up for success? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to sound like a broken wheel, broken wheel, but it, it is just super important. There just needs to be a defined company vision and strategy. Without that, you know, you, you're not going to be able to create a product strategy. And without that, it's going to be a constant battle for you internally in, in like which direction the product is going. and and which decisions you need to make around different features, because inherently you're gonna have a lot of teammates within the engineering product organization and outside of it that just different views and opinions about what the product should do. And I think company strategy is, is how to get ahead of that. And it's just how life just becomes that much easier for, for a product manager in that situation. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I think you really convinced me. There's a lot of other things I probably would have listed if I was interviewing myself, but you've really convinced me today because I realize it's like execution is downstream of the strategy. And if you don't get the strategy right, then you'll execute on the wrong things. And in the end, one of the big reasons that a first PM was brought in is that there isn't enough time for whoever was in charge of it before to give it the proper thought. Like it's not just, hey, I don't have time to write enough JIRA tickets anymore. It's often also, hey, are we even building the right thing? I'm not spending enough time talking to customers, looking at the market, looking at our numbers. Like I'm not spending enough time doing any of those things to actually set up making the right decision. That is then the execution. 
But if you're not making the right decision, it doesn't matter if you have time to, to run a perfect Jira sprint. You could be absolutely perfect at that. And it won't, it won't lead to the right wins because in the end, an early stage product manager is about helping the company reach escape velocity, full product market fit, and really start to be prepared to scale up. Absolutely. I like to say that a lot of the tactical activities, no one really cares about them. Right. So, so, so like, you know, get, get that, get that in your head and you just really need to be thinking about the direction of the product and direction of the, the company, everything else will mm -hmm. flow from that. Absolutely. And I think that is a great note to end on hostos. This has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much. How can people find you? Is there a way for people to follow you or may, maybe read any of your, your thoughts like you shared today? I'm on LinkedIn. Feel free to message me. I'm always up for a great conversation, a talk shop. So feel free to reach out to me there. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been the Practical Product Podcast. We'll see you next week. <music>